The um, well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, this Memorial Day weekend to come together, free people to serve and worship you in freedom. And we cherish that. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't take it for granted. We pray for all those who are suffering and being persecuted and killed for their faith around the world. And we thank you that we can come and worship you freely. We pray that you send all those here that that you would have to come and grow in you that really want you, Lord. And we thank you for helping us to grow. Let us not leave here the same today. In Jesus' name, amen. In John chapter 11, in John chapter 11, around the 38th verse, you might be familiar with this passage of scripture about Lazarus, who was Jesus' friend. John chapter 11, starting at the 38th verse, Lazarus was, had passed away. He was Jesus' friend. Jesus was out of town, and uh, they sent for him when Lazarus was sick, but he stuck around and rested where he was for a few days, and, and uh, he came, and <clears throat> they were sad because he hadn't got there in time, so to speak. <laughs> And this moved Jesus, but uh, starting at the 38th verse, says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. The King James said, He stinketh, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you? That if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him or loose him and let him go. Lazarus was raised from the dead. This is a. But you notice when he came forth, he was still bound by. His grave clothes. You see that? This is an illustration of salvation. When we get born again, we're raised to new life in Christ Jesus. But we may still have some of those grave clothes binding us in the sense that We have old habits and old thoughts and desires and condemnation from our previous life. You with me? We've been set free from these old grave clothes through the truth of God's word. And as we grow and renew our minds, we become more and more free through faith. Pass from death unto life. The thing that we struggle with, I mentioned old habits and thoughts and condemnation from our previous. The thing I want to talk about today is the condemnation part. Look at Romans chapter 8. It's right after the Gospels and then the book of Acts. And you got Romans chapter 8 starting at the first verse. I'll read probably the first four. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus 
from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. If. If you've been born again, if you belong to Jesus, you are already in the spirit. That's your new address. But whether you walking after the spirit or not is a choice. The fact that you're all here voluntarily this evening. Says that you're walking after the spirit. Anytime you're seeking God's way over your way. And you're here today, which is his will for your life. And that's a good thing. So give yourself a little credit. (laughs) This condemnation we're talking about. Webster defines it as the expression of very strong disapproval or censure. Or the action of condemning someone to a punishment or sentencing. To to condemn something like a building just says that it's no longer fit for use. And that's how we think of ourselves oftentimes. Even though we've been born again into a new life. I think what I want to talk about today so that we are aware of the enemy's tactics is to look at the types, some of the types of condemnation, how how condemnation comes to us in the different forms. Amen. I'm going to just point out five of them quickly. And really one of them is just part A and B. But that would have been four. So I like the number five. So I stretched it out. Amen. The number for grace. So the first thing that condemns us is the devil. Satan is always on the prowl. And he wants you living a life of condemnation. Feeling condemned, therefore never being able to serve in the way that God would have you or to be free in the way that God has created you to be. The devil, even though God has forgiven us of all of our sins through Christ, the devil always remembers and reminds us of our sin. He never forgets. He knows everything about you. The cure for this is to learn to rebuke him. You have authority. You've been given all authority. All the authority of Jesus Christ himself you have in him. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit to God. Resist the devil. And then there's a promise. What's going to happen? He'll flee from you. And say he might. It says he will flee from you. Not because God's going to come and tell him to. But because you told him to. You've been given this authority. First Peter. All the way toward the back. Chapter 5. Starting at the 6th verse, or just before that, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, verse 6, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded. Be watchful. Be 
Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour or whom he may devour. Resist him, verse 9, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You have authority. And God has called you not to ask him to rebuke the devil for you, but for you to open your mouth and rebuke the devil when he tries to condemn you. If you don't feel comfortable or you're not strong in that in that you haven't grown in your relationship with the Lord to the extent that you are you feel strong and you feel empowered and you feel like you're one with authority even though don't wait for that feeling to come it, the sooner you just believe it the better but if it's if 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 you can't do it find someone who can is the point i'm trying to make That's why I can't stress enough why I tell people you need godly relationships. When you have a problem, when you have an issue, or even when you're offended, you don't need to call somebody who's going to agree with you. You need to call somebody that will point you back to Jesus and remind you of who you are in Christ and what the Word says about your situation and circumstance. That's a true friend. That's true love. Those others aren't your friends. It may not be because they don't they want to be, but they may not have the ability to be. If they don't know the things we're talking about, then they're not ready to be your friend. They need what you have. The worst thing I've ever seen is when Christians go to a workplace and things like that, and all these un- people that are unsaved are p- pouring into their life. When what they need is what this Christian has on the inside of them. The wisdom of God. Well, so and so said, well, what does your God say? (laughs) The devil only operates in darkness. Remember that. Anything that is not the truth of God's word is darkness. And that's where the devil operates. If you can put a little light. On the subject, he's going to flee. Remember that. He tries to, when, when, what, depression and all those things that are, when I speak and I, I say that's darkness, you recognize that that's a dark place to be. And that's where the devil likes to operate. He, that's a spirit that comes from him. And when you get there, he tries to drag you away. When you get down and depressed, The last place you want to be is around people. The last place you want to be is in church. He tries to get you away from the sheepfold so he can have his way. And why are we talking about this? Because if you recognize that and you'll feel like the last thing you'll want to do is praise God and and acknowledge these things. But when you know that you know that you know the truth. And you see yourself in that situation. You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, no, devil. Get away from me in the name of Jesus. And you need to go get yourself in the light. Get in the word. Get into prayer. Get on the phone with someone who loves you in the Lord. And can help you to get back on track. Amen. The next thing that condemns us is our own hearts. Our own hearts. The power of repentance is so powerful and so good. People say, well, if I'm forgiven of everything, why do I have to repent? The repentance is not to talk God into forgiving you. He's already that's already established. Everything that is of grace was already established at the cross. But we still have to learn to receive. 
And so when our hearts condemn us, we need to go to God. We don't have to go sit in the box and tell some little man through the window. We just go to our God, our Father. We run right into the throne room of God and and say, Daddy, I'm here. Interrupt his meetings and everything. He don't care. He loves you. He got your picture in his wallet. But that's where you go and you say, Lord, I... I'm sorry about this. I I messed up, you know. I messed up, Father. And I just thank you for forgiving me and loving me and helping me. I I changed my mind about that thing. I I don't want to think like that no more. I don't want to do that. And I just I want you in your way and I'm I, I'm glad I have you. And you just deal with it however you say in your own words. Just like you would say to anyone that you love and care about and you're trying to restore that relationship. You do that not to make him give you anything, but just to know that he did. So that you know, so your heart is assured. We need to purge our hearts and our conscience of these dead works. And that way we're strong and and ready to go. First John, right back there, just a couple pages over from Peter, the very back. First John chapter 3, the 19th and 20th verse says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts. We need to reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, have your heart ever condemned you? Have you ever felt this condemnation I'm, I'm talking about today? We all have, trust me. And it's especially hard when you're young. Because everyone's so super critical because they're all so insecure themselves. (laughs) So when our hearts condemn us. Where was I? For whenever our hearts condemn us, verse 20. God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. So we need to go to him so he can restore us and assure us. And then in 21, beloved, if your heart does not condemn us, in other words, he's fixed it, let God fix it. And so that when our hearts don't condemn us anymore, we have confidence before God. We need that confidence. When I don't have confidence with God, I'll run from him instead of to him. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden when they hid from him. Trying to hide their nakedness. But he already knew. We have to assure our hearts. So that we're good with God. That we know that we're forgiven. That we know that we're righteous in his eyes. And he's the one that restores and reassures us. That this is true. Not because of us. But because of Jesus. So, if, like Paul says, we're forgiven and where sin abounds, grace much more abounds, then you have to say, well, then why don't we just keep on sinning? The more I sin, the more it pours on the grace. Well, heavens, no. God forbid, is what Paul said. He used such strong language, he would have had to curse <clears throat> if it was any stronger, and he put a big exclamation point. Absolutely not. Why? Because then if we continue to sin, our conscience is what's going to drive us crazy. (laughs) And then we won't have confidence before God. Unless you've seared your conscience, in which case you're in really bad trouble and we need to start praying for you and and get get you back to the place where you're sensitive to God again in that area. How can people just continue to do these terrible things? How can someone be a serial murderer or rapist or any of these crazy horrific things they've seared their heart they've hardened their heart toward god regarding that they don't hear him anymore they're not sensitive to the leading of the holy ghost they don't hear the any they don't they don't feel convicted by it anymore and they're in really trouble they're they they're reprobate and they may never come back and eternity is a long time to be on fire. But 
we're talking about dealing with condemnation. And that's that's one of the reasons we go to God and repent and and ask for forgiveness. Not because we're trying to get him to give us something new. It's just we're going there to receive it for ourselves, for our own hearts, so that we're confident again. Am I making sense? Praise God. First John, just look back a page or so. Chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <coughs> if we say we haven't sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So everybody's sinned. We know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ has made us clean. He has made us righteous in His eyes. But we still go to God in humility and we talk about the things in our lives so that He can restore us and, 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 and keep our hearts sensitive toward Him. Amen? So the cure to our own heart condemning us <coughs> is don't cover up our mistakes. Purge them with the blood of the Lamb. Go to God. Talk to Him about your life. The third thing, others condemn us, don't they? So the devil condemns us. Our own hearts condemn us. And others are surely going to condemn us in this life. You know, you might... <laughs> I've had a lot of people offended by me as a preacher. And I don't know any preacher that doesn't have the same testimony. Some of them have really been shot at. I know one who was kidnapped. I know, <clears throat> you know, they're threatened all the time. And it's not a personal thing. <laughs> it's, it's an offense that, that people get just because... If they knew me, they would know that my heart is not to offend anyone. It's not purposely to offend anyone. It's just that <coughs> I know that God has so much more for us than what, we, what we're living most of the time. I know that sin will open doors for the enemy into people's lives and he will come in. And destroy them. And destroy those around them. So if I love them. How can I not preach the truth? And besides. I'm not preaching to them. The word is offensive to those who are living outside of it. And that, and many times they'll take the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings through the word. And they'll blame the, they'll blame the messenger. People will offend us. Or no. Well, people will condemn you at, at school. People will condemn you at work. You know, you're not perfect. They'll tell you who you think you are. They always feel like you're judging them because all, all you did was tell them that you, you go to church and you're a Christian. And now all of a sudden they think you're this terrible judge of all people. It's just they're being convicted. And so they're going to condemn you. <laughs> Listen to this, though, <coughs> because we definitely don't want condemnation. Second Corinthians, just back up a little bit, right past Romans, see first, then second Corinthians. And I want to show you a real example for us. Chapter seven, I think it is. Second Corinthians, chapter seven, the Apostle Paul <laughs> says here, the second verse. He's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. And he says, make room in your hearts for us. Talking about him and the others who are traveling with him and the apostles. He says, we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. Now listen, let me stop right there. If you know anything about Paul. For him to say, we have wronged no one. He had wronged everyone. Everyone in the church. This man was responsible for having Christians drugged from their homes and imprisoned just because they were Christians. He stood there and held people's clothes while they stoned Stephen to death, the first martyr in the church. 
Jesus himself saw Stephen being stoned and, and forgiving those around him, and he gave him a standing ovation. And Paul was the consenting legalist standing there watching it. And he says, I've offended no one. Because Paul was a new man. And he had taken all these things to God and left them there at the altar. You see? So he was walking free of condemnation. Even though in his history, I'm sure there were people in that church that knew somebody or had been exposed to his his wrath when he was still thought he was fighting for God but was on the wrong side. But he had fixed all that just by going to the Lord and understanding that he was forgiven. In the third verse it says, I do not say this to condemn you. So he was being sure that he didn't condemn them. For I said before that, You are in our hearts to die together and to live together. So Paul was making sure he wasn't offending anyone. Because he didn't want them to live condemned. He said, I say this not to condemn you. So people get offended just by preaching. And that's a fact. It's the word which is offensive to those who are living in opposition to it. And this will cause the heart or the conscience to condemn. There will be times from the pulpit when I and others will preach about sex outside of the confines of marriage. And how wrong it is, no matter who you are. And same-sex marriage and, and how wrong that is. And how wrong it is to say you can marry a train station and things like that. We're going to talk about politics because it should be talked about from the pulpit because God has a say about everything. If I just told you that God says the child is a person in the womb and that God said a marriage is between a man and a woman for life. Just those two things would would almost tell you who to vote for. Okay, and there's much, much more. Every issue of the day, God has something to say about it. And don't you think we should be, if we call ourselves Christians, that's what we should be taking into consideration. (laughs) If we say we belong to him and our life, the life we live is no longer ours, but him that lives in us. So how does he vote? (laughs) So, but these things are offensive to people who have built their lives around a lie. And the longer they live that lie, the more hardened their hearts become to the truth. And so when someone confronts them with it and they've already made up their mind and they have so much to lose now, if they were to change their mind about the thing they built everything around, they're going to get offended with the messenger. I don't desire to offend anyone. It's just the opposite. I love everyone in the Lord. And I want them all to walk in victory. To be all that God created them to be. I know that sin's going to kill you. And it opens the door for the enemy to come in. And to kill you. And I want you to live. And if that's offensive. Then you're going to find me to be an equal opportunity offender. Because I love everybody enough to tell them the truth. Even if they hate me for it. You know, our families condemn us too. This is number four. It's really three because I said others offend us, but it's, it's such a category of its own. Our families condemn us. It's really, really something that everybody, not everybody, I mean, if you have a conti- completely Christian family and you've grown up and raised your kids in church, good for you. <laughs> but many of us don't have that. And the families are the most hurtful, or they can be. Sometimes family is the hardest to believe that you have changed. And they condemn you. They they still see you after the flesh. I know my own family was this way, and still is to some extent. 
But after a decade or so, it starts to loosen up a little. <laughs> my own mother and my stepfather, they were very proud toward the end. But at first, they, oh, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> and so they remember you after the flesh. Jesus struggled with this thing in his own family. His own brothers tried to get him killed until after he raised from the dead. <laughs> and then they became... You know, two of them have books in the Bible. So James was uh, the head of the church in Jerusalem. And Jude wrote a powerful little one-page book that we've studied from. And uh, they didn't see him after the flesh anymore. Amen? Proverbs seventeen, fifteen says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike. An abomination to the Lord. It's not good to tell someone who is evil that they're okay. And it's not good to ever condemn a Christian. Because they are righteous in God's eyes. <clears throat> in, you remember in the book of Job, in the 32nd chapter, I think in the 2nd verse. But God was not at all happy with Job's friends, was he? For condemning him. Because they had condemned a righteous man and God almost killed those three men. Job had to intercede for them. Now, we're not under that covenant anymore, but it shows you God's attitude towards condemning the righteous. But people and families condemn us. <clears throat> Let's look at the cure. Go to... Isaiah, who is the first of the major prophets, they call him, in uh, the Bible. <coughs> right after Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Isaiah. And look at the 54th chapter. We're mostly familiar with the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. It talks about by Jesus' stripes we're healed. But look at the 54th chapter of Isaiah, starting at the 15th verse. Isaiah 54, verse 15. If anyone stirs up strife, it's not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you, talking about you, you righteous, you Christian, you child of God. If anyone stirs up strife with you, shall fall because of you. This is God looking out for you. I'm telling you, there are more for you than against you. Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon, a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravenger to destroy. Verse 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment or condemnation. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is, you are entitled to this. This is your protection from God. And you see that every tongue that rises against you, God's going to condemn. What does it say? You. You shall condemn. But who is they? This is important. The Bible teaches us our battle is not against flesh and blood. But it's against the devil. And all of his demons. And all of their devices. All of these dark spirits. That try you. Fear. Terror, condemnation, accusation. Not God. He says, I'm not the one doing that. It's important that we know this so we don't think that God is just trying to teach us a lesson or put something on us. He doesn't do that. His children, He chastens us and corrects us with His Word. He's not going to put 
divorce and poverty on you to teach you a lesson or sickness or cancer, any of that nonsense. That's the devil who comes to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. We have to condemn the words that come at us, whether they're whispered in our ear from the devil or they're spoken by a family member or friend who may mean well, but it's not God. Don't receive it. Rebuke it. You know, you can prophesy over yourself. I encourage everyone because we're going to pull out the giftings and everyone as we go. But prophecy is something that the word tells you to to really believe for, especially the gift of prophecy. It says the word is prophetic. The word is encouraging and edifying the new covenant of grace is always to build you up. If you ever have a someone who says they're a prophet, in the new covenant, they should be building you up, encouraging and edifying you, exhorting you, not condemning you. That's not God. That's the test. That's how you'll know. If they don't come at you in love and encouragement to build you up, now, that doesn't mean if you're in in some kind of terrible sin, they don't come and try to help you out of that. They're not going to tell you that's good. <laughs> but they shouldn't be coming preaching gloom and doom either. They're going to build you up and draw you into the, the life that God has for you. Amen? Amen? But prophesy over yourself. Every morning, I encourage you, even if you have to do it in the shower with the water running so people don't hear you, start speaking the word over yourself. I am blessed. I am healthy and whole from head to toe. No weapon formed against me will prosper. <coughs> Satan, I rebuke you. I command you and all of your demons to leave me, leave my family, leave my friends, my school, my church. We are blessed. The favor of the Lord surrounds us as a shield. I'm ahead. I'm, I'm above and not beneath. I will lend and not borrow. My bank account's blessed. My body's blessed. In Jesus' name, prophesy over yourself and rebuke the enemy, even if it's a thought. You heard me say it sometimes, you'll hear me go, uh-uh. <laughs> I do that because if, even if a thought comes in there, I can't. I can't keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can stop them from making a nest on my head. It ain't going to stay there, huh? Devil, get away from me. In Jesus' name. Watch your life change if you begin to do this. Then you, because, because you'll see the wonderful results in your life, just like when we pray in the Spirit. Wonderful things begin to happen. When you see as you begin to prophesy over yourself and speak life and blessings and rebuking all the negative things, you'll start doing it over your, your spouse, your, your friends, your brothers and sisters, your, everyone that you love. You'll start speaking blessings over them. And you know what? It's very attractive. I'm not talking about it in a physical way. I'm saying, <laughs> have you ever noticed if you're the only godly person that some people know, and you're positive, and oh man, I'm blessed, and man, dude, you're doing so good, and man, I really like what you did here, and man, that was a great job, and man, I'm encouraging you today. When you talk like that to people, they're like, man, I, I just, I like being around this guy. Because everything else they see and experience and hear is death and negativity and judgment and condemnation, and that's of the devil. The last thing I want to mention is the law. The law condemns us. <coughs> and let's look at the cure in the Gospel of John, not the letters in the back. The Gospel of John, the first chapter, and the 17th verse. And I hope that all of you know this scripture because it's, uh, it's where your church is named from. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
When you try to serve God under the law instead of by grace, you're always going to feel condemned. And this is a slippery slope. And a lot of times we have to come really grow in our relationship to even recognize the difference. And sometimes, frankly, you can falter, you can waver back and forth. You kind of go back and forth and it almost seems like a fleeting, like a smoke you're trying to grasp and you can't to grab hold of grace and to walk in it, to walk a life after the Spirit is just to live a life in agreement with the Word of God and pursuing the will of God. And a lot of times we'll catch ourselves under the law without even recognizing how we got there. And the easy thing to do is just repent, turn around, change your mind. Repent is just a a change of mind regarding God that brings about a resulting corresponding change in actions. Amen? So the law condemns us, and when we try to serve God under the law, we're always going to feel condemned. It's never going to be good enough. That's its purpose, actually. Anytime you try to earn anything from God, in other words, you're healing for your body. It's, it's something you're entitled to. It's part of your inheritance. You can live in divine health and wholeness all your life now. But when you're trying to earn it, if I do this, or if I say this, or if I pray this much, then God has to heal me. Or prosperity the same way. If I give, he's going to have to give me a hundredfold. And that's why I'm doing it. No. Any blessing, anything from God that you feel like you're doing and all of a sudden you're feeling entitled to because of some action or some performance that you've done, then you're under the law. Anything you think entitles you to receive from God besides what Jesus has already accomplished on your behalf, then you've placed yourself back under the law. If I do this, and then maybe he'll do this. No. You need to learn to receive from God, yes, but by faith in what Jesus has done for you and not by something that you've done to deserve it. None of us, this is good news, none of us deserve to go to heaven, but we're all going, amen? Because of Jesus and what he's deserved for us. And he's attributed that, accredited that to our account. Just like I went down to the bank and put a million dollars in your bank account. He has accredited you with his righteousness. Everything he's entitled to for living a perfect and sinless life. He's accredited to your account. Amen. Second <clears throat> Corinthians three, nine, and we're, we're about done here. Second Corinthians three, nine. Everybody with me? <laughs> Are we growing? 2 Corinthians 3, 9. That was just my first close, John. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Not yet, John, not yet. The law was the administration of condemnation and death. Its purpose was to show you your sin. A lot of people mistakenly think that the law that came through Moses was to reveal God to us. It wasn't. It was to reveal our sinfulness to ourselves. And show us our need for a Savior. Because people without God's standard of total perfection, which is revealed through His law... People would say, well, they compare themselves to others. Well, I'm doing better than them. I'm, I'm okay. And this is how the majority of the world who don't know the Lord, but they look at Christians and they think they're okay because they say a blessing at mealtime once in a while and they know that they're a good man. I'm a good man. That's a good woman. Good people go to hell. Only saved people go to heaven. If... If it's a standard of, of goodness, well, there the billions in the Muslim world that, that are praying on their hands and knees five times a day. 
They're not saved. But if we're going to judge ourselves amongst ourselves and not be wise in what the word says, then there are a lot of people in the world in the name of religion are living a relatively holy or, or sin-free life. But they're not sin-free. And the smallest sin, the punishment for that is death. No matter how good of a sinner you are, you can be the best sinner in hell and still be in hell. You need Jesus. Without Him, nobody's getting there. The law was the administration of condemnation and death. Romans chapter 3, verse 19, says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, it shuts you up because you start saying how good you are, and then you look at the the Ten Commandments, and you go, oh, wait, (laughs) wait a minute. I, 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 I try to live by the Ten Commandments. You ever heard anybody tell you that? And then they can't name any of them? <laughs> to, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God gave as a payment for our sins. So the cure to the law, get under grace. Put your faith, your confidence, your trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And your confidence will soar. You won't feel condemned because you won't feel like you're having to earn your salvation, which you can never do anyway. It's already been done for you. Put your faith in Jesus And it'll cause your love for Him to soar. And you'll learn to love Him that much more the more you get to know Him and all that He's accomplished on your behalf. And it'll cause you to receive the love from Him that He wants to give you so badly. And then you'll be able to give out love. Because He's the source of all love. And you can't give away what you don't have. You have to learn to receive. Let Him love you. Let Him love you because He loves you so much. One time, I had a dream, and I had been suffering with this particular ailment, I call it, this condemnation, not ever feeling good enough or worthy enough, these rejection issues that I kind of came with in this life, never knew who my dad was, you know, had kind of a broken family, and you know, everybody has a sob story to some degree. But I just never felt worthy enough. And this was after I came into the ministry. And so about not too long, I'd been seeking the Lord. And and I was just really struggling letting Him love me. So I had a dream one night. And I was standing in a courtroom. In a dark courtroom and before the bench. And... I knew that I was there for all my crimes. And I knew I was guilty. And I was just waiting to be sentenced. And when I looked over to my right, and Jesus was standing there next to me, I saw him just as clear as I see all of you today. And I just fell to my knees. But he was looking forward and around. And then I noticed there was no one there to judge me. 
No accusers even. And I was free. Not guilty. The best lawyer in the world. Standing next to me. And my freedom was bought and paid for by his precious blood. I never forget how much love I felt for him. I, just looking at him, I was just staring at him. And he turned and he went and he walked <clears throat> toward a wall that was right about where that one is. And I remember crying out to him and reaching for him. I wanted him to take me with him. But he just walked right through the wall and he was gone. And I remember there was came a person and they said, he was looking right at you. And I was free, free to go. I had to stay here. Still work to do. But I'm free. And so are you. We just have to receive that by faith. Amen. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We just have to embrace it and let him love us. Amen. Praise God. Father, thank you so much for this word and for your love and freedom that we find in you. We thank you for empowering us to serve you and to be good soldiers in your army of light and goodness. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the devil. And we thank you that we know more today than we did before. That we know his tactics and we will not allow him to condemn us. We will rebuke him. And we'll rebuke the words of others who try to condemn us. And we'll run to you when we make mistakes and not from you. So that our hearts not be condemned. And that we be empowered and confident in our walk with you. We thank you for loving us so much. In Jesus' name, amen.